Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, on Instagram, or on Facebook. Additionally, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of letting me know what you think, I recently had someone reach out via the comment form over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. Domitil? I may have just butchered your name, but... They write, Hello, I just wanted to quickly say how much I appreciate this podcast. I was accepted to serve in Colombia in January and have been trying to educate myself on as much as I can before leaving. This podcast has been immensely helpful and I've learned so, so much. My favorite so far are episode 7 with Liz Fanning, episode 12 with Yadesia Brew, and episode 34 with Shauna Thomas. Each has taught me a life lesson that I will try not to forget when in service. Thank you again for taking the time to do this. This is the best Peace Corps podcast I have found, and I look forward to hearing more stories. Well, thank you very much, and I wish you the very best for your service in Colombia. On this week's episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast, I talk with John Laos, who served in the Gambia from 2015 to 2017. We talk about the ups and downs of his service and dealing with the divorce of his parents while serving in the Peace Corps. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is John Laos, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, John, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Tyler, how are you? Doing excellent. Excellent. Excited to talk to you. You reached out a while ago, and you're now in D.C. When you first reached out, you were in D.C., and then since being in D.C., uh, our schedules have not aligned well, but now you just actually live a few streets over from me. Yeah, funny. It's funny how it all worked out, huh? Yeah, so I'm finally glad to sit down and talk with you about your Peace Corps service. Mm -hmm. So start off by letting the listeners know uh, where you served and what you were doing. I served in a tiny country called the Gambia in West Africa. For those of you who aren't familiar with West African geography, it's a former British colony that follows the Gambian River. It kind of um, juts into the country of Senegal. Uh, the country is really small. It's about the size of the state of New Hampshire. Um, and I served there as a primary teacher trainer in the education sector. I lived in a little rural village um, called Yalal Tonkonjala. As a member of the Fula tribe, I learned a language called Pular. And I worked in a school serving about 250 um, elementary age students. It was a primary school. Um, and I was working to help the teachers improve their teaching practices, uh, doing co-teaching, lesson planning, um, developing school resources like the library, the school garden, working with students in extracurricular activities, setting up clubs, and um, 
yeah, I also did work in the community, um, working with uh, women's nutrition groups, and uh, we did a clean burning stove project um, with a site made of mine. And yeah, that's that's a lot of you know village time. Mm-hmm. And I, as you were talking, I was trying to rack my brain to actually remember some of the the foolard that I learned because I had I had mm-hmm. uh, Fulani in my community as well. Mm-hmm. Don't remember any of it though. Sadly, uh, it was like the third or fourth language that I had to learn yeah. from my community. <laughs> was, yeah. was your community a hundred percent pool? Yes. So, so probably you know there were thirty compounds or so. Um, one, two, maybe. Three were Bumbara, one Wolof, two Mandinka. The rest were all Fula, Pool. Yeah. So yeah. Like sort of a similar languages that were in my community, just a, a, a different ratio. Right. Um, yeah. Majority Bumbara. And it's funny because I'm, you know, a few countries over, mm-hmm. but these uh, groups are somewhat nomadic, especially the, the, the Fula. I mean, that's, yeah. they're, they're known. That's, uh, for that's anybody, their thing. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know, they're the kind of iconic herders mm-hmm. of the Sahel region. Yeah. And it's funny you should say that because my name in Pular was Gallo, mm-hmm. which translates to the man who owns many cows. So it's a name you would give somebody if you're wishing them, you know, riches or wealth in the future. Um, so when I came back from the Peace Corps last year, I got a nice little cow tattoo on my calf oh that's nice sadly this is uh in in, yeah. audio, in audio format for everybody who's listening they're, they're missing out mm-hmm. maybe you can include a photo when you send that to me yeah so it's uh our family cow that i had <laughs> tattooed um with a peanut plant because my host father was a was a, a peanut farmer mm-hmm. what, what was um, the cow's name so uh <laughs> they don't normally name the cows but i did ask my host brother to name it and he named it carlos don't know where he got the name from. I don't. I'd never heard him say a name like that before. Mm-hmm. But he said the cow's name is Carlos. So, yeah. And when you applied for the Peace Corps, did you uh, select Gambia, or were you still of the group where uh, sort of you know spin the wheel of fortune and wherever Peace Corps sends you, they send you? Yeah, I had no idea where the Gambia was. Absolutely no idea. Didn't mm-hmm. know. You know. I actually Africa was probably the last on my list of like regions to go to. Oh, really? Yeah, but I applied, you know, before before you could really choose. Um so what so what ended up happening was I went through the the interview process um and I was originally slated to go to Ukraine for youth and development. Mm-hmm. And then right around the time that I was um you know in that process, they had they shut down the post there. Mm-hmm. So then there were two months where I was in kind of limbo. I hadn't heard anything. I thought maybe they had just dropped my application. And then, you know, in December of 2014, I got a call out of the blue from the desk officer here in D.C. And they said, we're sending you an invitation to go to the Gambia. You have a week to decide. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I mean, I thought, why not? Let's, let's try it. Let's see what happens. Um, and it, it actually, I think turned out much, much better, um, than I ever could have, could have hoped. 
you mm-hmm. know, like it's funny how it works out like that. Mm-hmm. And then I guess playing off of that, um, what were some of the things that, that made it so good? What were some of the, the favorite memories or experiences that you had while serving in the Gambia? I don't know if they did this in Burkina Faso, but they they named their kids after kind of somebody close to them mm-hmm. or, um, you know, every every child has a namesake, usually a relative or you know, someone in the village or a close family friend. Um, and there were, everyone was wondering when, you know, my Toma, that's what they, they call the namesake, when my Toma was going to be born. Because there were a few pregnant women kind of around <laughs> the village and, but they kept having girls. So they were saying, oh, you don't have a Toma this month, not this month, not this week. And then my host aunt Mm -hmm. um who actually lived in kind of the row house next to mine um gave birth very uh you know quietly under the radar because they do that um so i was just sitting on the floor one day reading um in my house at night and the midwife walks by the room and yells through my screen door Gallo, your Toma was finally born. <laughs> um, and then I went and saw the newborn. Um, there were a couple moments like that. I mean, there was, you know, a time where I went with a friend. And this was kind of a really great integration, you know, I've made it moment. Mm-hmm. Um, where a friend of mine was getting married and um, a Gambian friend of mine and he invited me to go with him to collect the um the bride from her village so to be kind of in like their version of a wedding party mm-hmm. so uh, we drove to the village near the near the uh you know Senegal border and we had to stay up all night there were very you know interesting traditions that I didn't know about at the time but you know he dressed in all white and couldn't say anything he couldn't speak and we went out to this village that I didn't know anybody in. Um, luckily, they spoke Pular, so I could, like, communicate effectively with them. They were all like, who is this guy who doesn't look like us? Who is who is here? Um, we stayed up all night. And the other groomsmen had to keep going back and forth between the place where we were staying and the... Um, the compound where the bride was to try to negotiate the bribe (laughs) because you have to bribe the family Mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, the village will let her go with their blessing. Um, so we stayed up all night and then we went to the big ceremony in the morning and me and the gang had to lift the bride up and she wasn't allowed to walk anywhere. Um, you know, piled into the bush, the bush van, and drove back to my my place, and then we partied all night. Um, so yeah, uh, there are a lot of like really fun, interesting moments like that. Some of them, you know, are a little low key. Uh, you know, a good lesson here, a good class there, just a good afternoon. Um, and then sometimes you just have like a whole day where everything is is pretty great. Mm-hmm. I find it kind of interesting that the the two memories that you picked were based around very major life events. One, birth and marriage. Mm -hmm. Birth and marriage, that's right. Um, 
and and having uh talked a little bit beforehand and some backstory uh there were also difficulties that you had during your service mm-hmm. um what were some of those one of the reasons that i reached out to you originally was because i thought that um i had a a story that maybe could be helpful to other volunteers in service um to people who were going through some of the personal issues or personal um uh things that that maybe i had also gone through so my story um is you know i i went to the peace corps when I left, I set up a really great support support system uh, in Dallas, where I'm from. I have a really big family. Um, I have six brothers and sisters. Um, my parents, uh, you know, we had a big going away party. I I went on my way in June of 2015. Um, then about six months later, uh, I got a call um from my brother who who told me that um my father had moved out of the house and that my parents would be getting divorced mm-hmm. um as the months went on and and this was something really unexpected i mean truly i had no this was not on anybody's radar um and it it really seemed like, you know, everyone stresses the importance of having that home support system and having um, someone in the States, you know, to talk to about what you're going through or to kind of keep you grounded on your priorities. Um, and it really felt like that kind of fell through for me. I wasn't getting the kind of care packages that mm-hmm. other volunteers were getting. Um Anytime that I was getting news from home, it wasn't good news. You know, the divorce became really messy. Um, you know, they're trying to separate 26 years of marriage. Um, yeah, so it was not easy. Um, that coupled also with just like the stress of Peace Corps, uh, the hours and hours of downtime, just imagining like mm-hmm. what what's going on back home. Um, and the Gambia is a very, you know, traditional Peace Corps country, you could say. Or, you know, when people say they want the traditional Peace Corps experience, um, the Gambia is one of those countries that kind of classifies as that because many of the sites don't have uh, electricity or mm-hmm. running water. Um, you know, we had solar taps and we had solar panels. We, you know, maybe two compounds had solar panels, but other than that, we were off the grid. Um, so I wasn't really getting, you know, um, constant communication from the states about what was going on. So it was just you know, left to me. On top of that, uh, on the Peace Corps work side, things were also not great. Um, I had a lot of trouble. I was a a volunteer who was replacing another volunteer who was, um, you know, pretty active in the community. So there were a lot of comparisons going on. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, the village likes to do that. Yep. I experienced that myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you would hear things, people would say things about, well, you know, the old volunteer didn't do it this way, or, you know, you're not as good at the language as the old volunteer, or, you know, she it worked much harder than you work. Um, you know, those types of things. Uh, and then I also, you know, none of my ideas or projects were really, you know, getting traction at the school. Um, I would set up clubs, have meetings for a couple weeks, and then the students would stop coming. Uh, there was a, a moment where I had set up a school-wide spelling bee. And um, I guess I hadn't prepped the kids enough. Long story short, I made every student at the school cry because they got up in front, got stage fright when they were trying to spell a word in front of their peers and burst into tears. And it was like one after another, like coming up to the firing squad. Um, So that was not great. Um, There was a moment where I set up a debate and I let the teachers pick the questions. And one of the questions they picked for the students to debate over was whether whether a boy's education or a girl's education was more important. So you can imagine the controversy mm-hmm. of, you know, everyone arguing about, about gender equality um, in their sixth grade class. And what ended up happening there was the girl who won the debate, because a girl won, but she was arguing the point that a boy's education is more important. Oh, no. The prize was a soccer ball, which the boys then stole from her. And I, t- I said, do you, want me to, do you want me to get the card, the, um, the ball back for you, Cardo? And she said, no, no, I have to go home anyway and cook lunch for the family. <laughs> so that was a really great let girls learn moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like stuff like that kept happening. And... There was even a time where my my program assistant, who I also, you know, had my own frustrations with, um, came to me to teach a session for in, in-service training for the newer volunteers on failures at sight. <laughs> and I said, um, you know, why am I being chosen for this? And he said, well, John, you are the volunteer of many failures. So not the best moniker, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I think looking back on it now, um, I think looking back on it, um, some of the projects worked in ways that maybe I didn't see or that, you know, didn't come um, to fruition the way that I was planning it. You know, like for the spelling bee, the students really, you know, were distraught at the actual event. But after the fact, they would come to me asking me about the words that they had gotten out on or, you know, they would challenge each other to spell the words that made them cry. Um, 
And then you would see like smaller versions of that in a classroom or the teachers trying to replicate that, which was, mm-hmm. um, you know, not what I had envisioned originally, but uh, sometimes, you know, projects work out in, in funny ways. Um, all that is to say, you know, there were, you know, Peace Corps frustrations. There were personal frustrations and, um, you know, dealing with all of this and what's what was going on in America um, led to a, a rough, a rough, you know, few months to a year. Um, but you, you finished your service, you got through it. Now, now I, I guess want to dig into that a little bit further mm-hmm. because, you know, in addition to being uh, John, the, the man of many cows, mm-hmm. you were also John, the man of many failures. Mm-hmm. How did you, how did you overcome those failures or what kind of coping mechanisms did you have? Because as you were saying that you were remote and removed um, from the network that you had set up in the United States, even the network within your country, it wasn't as easy to, to reach out to other volunteers and connect with them on a, you know, it's not like you can say, Hey, I'm feeling bad today. Do you want to meet up this afternoon? That, sure. that doesn't exist. So how how did you deal with all of that? Yeah, well, I will say, you know, I did make the decision to finish the two years. Um, sometimes I do question whether or not that was the correct decision. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was there was just a lot going on in here in the states, and I think that stress was whether it was conscious or unconscious affecting kind of my work, my, my involvement with the community. Um, you know, there were times where, you know, you have those days where you would just stay in your hut all day. Um, where you kind of are just distanced from, um, from your work and from, your host family uh, and you kind of close yourself off. Um, I want to say also that I, I think there is a, I don't know if it was just our country, if it was just my own, you know, thoughts, but it seemed to me that the stigma existed with, you know, ETing, especially, um, mm-hmm. for, for personal reasons. Um, and this idea that if you ET, it's a sign of weakness or, um, you know, I didn't want to be known as a volunteer manning failures who also terminated his service early. Um, so that also played a role. Um, I did finish the two years. I am proud to say that. Um, but I also hope that, you know, any volunteers who are in service or who are thinking about service, um, realize that people who do ET, um, you know, they have their reasons and I don't think it's a place for anybody to judge what, you know, Mm -hmm what is what how long a peace corps service has to be or 
um, what any any volunteer is going through. Um, and I think that, you know, that stigma did, did exist, at least in myself. Um, and maybe it would have been nice to just hear that from, from somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have a lot of volunteers from your group ET? No, I mean like from my cohort, uh, during, we had, you know, a couple of medical, Mm -hmm. but that was pretty early on. I would say after being there for maybe five months, everybody stayed. We were a cohort of 13. Mm -hmm. I think we started as 15, 15 or 16. Um, So we were pretty, I think, small. So that probably added to the pressure that no no one has done done it (laughs) Nobody ETs. Um, yeah, you don't want to be the one, mm-hmm. um, to throw in the towel, you, you know, mm-hmm. um, that being said, I, I, the silver lining of it all is that I did develop coping me- mechanisms for handling, handling the stress. Um, you know, what, what I took away from the Peace Corps was really learning about, uh, you know, self-care, taking the time to, you know, take a day off when I needed it. Um, I started exercising more regularly. Um, to your point about site mates, like the Gambia is an interesting country because it's so small. We were all really pretty concentrated. Oh, okay. So my nearest site mate was a 15 minute bike away. Um, and I really learned to lean on other volunteers and um, my site mates, you know, during, during the harder times um, and asking for help and asking, you know, to, to hang out or to take the afternoon off. Um, And I don't know if this is, is typical for Peace Corps, but I, I, we developed a pretty close bond. Um, I even actually moved here with three of my site mates. Um, and I have another two members of my cohort who are in the area. So there is kind of a little gang of us here in DC now. Um, and they kind of served as my like pseudo support system. So whatever I had thought I had in the States, I then kind of replicated in country mm-hmm. with volunteers. Yeah. And one of the the things that I was told, uh, maybe my first day by our country director, she had these four or five rules, and I'm not going to go through all of them. But one of the rules was uh, don't suffer in silence. That if you're going through something, whether if you think it's small or minor, like just let it be known. Just put it out there. And I think a lot of times volunteers... Like they don't want to be the first one to ET, so they don't even want to mention it, or they mm-hmm. don't want to let on that they're going through stuff, and then they suffer in silence. It builds, it builds, it builds, and then the only thing they can do is ET. Yeah, I mean, you're it's a already a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. You're in a place that you know you're maybe not familiar with, surrounded by people who are difficult to communicate with, um, and I don't know a single volunteer that didn't have, you know, if not every day, at least a day where they thought this will be my last day. 
Mm-hmm. I can't do it anymore. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, now, after you left the Peace Corps, you went on to continue to uh, serve in different capacities. Was Peace Corps your first time doing this kind of service or international service or maybe even like true volunteering? What, what was it? Or had, had you been sort of involved in international development and service pre-Peace Corps? Yeah, well, um, Peace Corps was the first time it, I had ever left the country. Um, a, a lot my my background is in arts education. I was a theater major. I worked at a theater company, and I can't really tell you why I decided to join the Peace Corps. I don't know if it was just a, a calling if it was just chance or luck i had worked with a playwright who had been in the peace course a year earlier so maybe it was in the back of my head but i applied and i thought well i'll take the year because it's you know about a year long process between like first application and departure so i'll take a year to think about it um i didn't have any experience in international development didn't really think that I was going to be selected, um, to be honest. But, you know, I, I, I made it through. And what I, I really learned and what Peace Corps really did for me was kind of open my eyes to the world and teach me a lot about myself and where my passions lie. Since Peace Corps... I, I, when I came back to the States after COS, I went back to my old job, uh, at the theater company and, you know, they do great work there. Um, I really respect, you know, everyone who works there. I respect the work, um, but it, it wasn't as fulfilling as it maybe once was before. So I took some of my readjustment allowance money and some, savings and I went abroad again. I went to Greece um, and then later to Northern France to do some more um, international volunteer work with some refugee aid organizations. Um, And now I I came back from that at the beginning of the year and I'm looking again to maybe go abroad in the fall um, to do some more. So I will say I did not know that about myself before doing Peace Corps, and now I can't seem to stop, <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I've had a great time uh, sitting down with you and, and talking with you about your service. Um, before we you know, wrap up and close out the show, is there anything else that you want to share with volunteers uh, current return perspective, or maybe just people interested um, who happen to stumble across the show, or you know your friends and family. What what do you want to say to the listeners of your episode? Yeah, I guess what what I would like to say is there is no you know one typical Peace Corps service or Peace Corps story. I think there is a little bit of a misconception or maybe thought that 
the Peace Corps is this one tiers of service for people who are um, either interested or, you know, either crunchy granolas or, um, you know, really into international development. And you go, you rough it for two years. Um, you have a life-changing, life-altering experience. And then you come back and you have this great thing on your resume and it all kind of works out or it's this, um, you know, amazing adventurous tale. Um, and yeah, you know, it is some somewhat like that, but it is two years of life. You know, I think when I left, I fell into this trap of I'm, I am going to be off the grid. I thought, you know, being detached from America, that my life here would be the same coming back as when I left it. When in reality, it's two years for everybody else as well, you know, Mm -hmm. um, where I left everybody, my friends, my family, um, myself two years ago, I would, you know, I wasn't the same person and nobody else really was either. Um, and even in service, you know, people have really great, amazing projects and some people can't get anything off the ground. Um, to no fault of their own. Yeah, no, I mean, sometimes some it's, it is what it is, you know, like nobody joins Peace Corps not to do the work. Mm -hmm. So everyone is trying. And I think there's, there's value in, in the thought or in the attempt. Um, and really any amount of service you know, whether you do end up leaving in, in training, if you leave a year in, if you finish the two years, um, it's valuable, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was someone else who I had on the show, uh, and they made the, the point, similar to you, that it isn't uh, putting your life on pause mm-hmm. for two years. You're You're living your life that whole time, and you're growing and experiencing and changing, and if people say, well, I don't know if I can put my life on hold. What What are you talking about? Yeah, you're living it, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people would always say, well, what are you going to do when you get back to your real life in the States? Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote, real life, you know? Yeah. Like, it, this is real life. You know, this is life now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's happening in the village and it's happening in the city. It's happening in the States and it's happening all over the world. So I think... Yeah, I I think any any experience um is a valuable is a valuable one and and there is not never there's not one true peace corps um experience or peace corps story. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you very much for sharing your individual unique Peace Corps story. And in closing with this podcast episode, do you have a favorite uh, local phrase, word, or saying that you would like to share with us? Yes, I have many. Okay, so like, 
one of the best ways that I learned my language was I had this, we had, you know, in our training manuals, I had a list of proverbs um, in Pular and I would sit with my host family and just read them through. And for hours we would sit and laugh and, you know, try to, I would try in vain to figure out what exactly the meaning was. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I picked up a, a, a couple for you. Mm-hmm. Um, here I have them written down. Okay. So the one that my people liked the best was Riwi Hebani Arti Tautani, which translates roughly to chase what you want and you won't get it. When you return, what you left behind won't be there. So it's kind of like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Mm-hmm. Right? That's like the idea. Um, another one is Aduna Kolachal Jire, which means the world is a squirrel's tail. <laughs> in that it's smaller than it appears. You know, a squirrel's tail is bushy, but underneath it's just a little tail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the one that, uh, yeah, this one took me the longest to figure out. Sikobali kowari babama chao adogat, which translates to, if what killed your father is large and dark, if you see a black heron, you will run. So just think about that one; it'll come to you. Um, and then I think the one that applies to Peace Corps the most is. Legalgal Dermayo Boy Wonata Noda, which means the log, no matter how long it's in the river, mm-hmm. will never be a crocodile. Mm-hmm. Also, one of my favorites uh, in, in, in Bambara uh, that I think maybe someone else shared, uh, but one of my favorites. And I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to have to call you out on, on something, but mm-hmm. I want you to see if you can recreate it and share it. I don't know if you knew that you were doing it oh. but before we before we turned on the microphones and we were talking back and forth you were doing the almost involuntary sort of click as i was saying stuff sort of in acknowledgement oh, this one yep yeah in, in acknowledgement that you were were listening which is very west african i can't stop now I, oh it, it took i me... do it in interviews i do it in you know at work I cannot stop. It took me a year, year, year and a half to stop doing it. And I still catch myself every now and then when I'm really sort of engrossed in the conversation and you're mm-hmm. listening and you sort of do the click. So I, I mm-hmm. had to bring it up. I apologize. Yeah, no, really. It's a habit now. Yeah, so can you, can, can, you, can, you, can you click for us? Yeah. So here's the click for like, it's like an mm-hmm or a yes. It's a. <laughs> and then there's. I also do the no or like, you know, if somebody asks you, you know, if you want something and you say, Mm -hmm. you do a little kissy sound, that's a no. Did you uh, get used to hissing at uh, sort of street vendors or people from across the the restaurant that you wanted their attention? Did you do that there as well or no? Um, Maybe a little bit. I think I did it because I... um, maybe i'm rude like they would do it to us for you know just general peace corps harassment purposes but you know a little like Mm -hmm. yeah i would do that yeah it it felt wrong at first but then it's like well that's how you get their attention yeah you know 
You need your waiter. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank you very much for taking time to speak with me, uh, sharing uh, those Pular uh, sayings, and then uh, giving us a little <laughs> bit of uh, those clicks and those sort of uh, sounds that aren't um, aren't words and aren't sayings, but are very, very important to language and mm-hmm. communicating. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Tyler. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe so you get a new episode every single week. Additionally, if you want to hear My Peace Corps Story, be sure to check out my book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?